All right, hello and welcome to Hot Takes and Cool Tunes from Radio DePaul. I'm your host, Alex Johnson, here with Cormac Costello. On this show, we talk about what's new and important in indie music and art house cinema. Today, I'll be talking about the new James Blake record, and we'll be doing a Smiths retrospective. You're not going to want to miss this. All right, hey, Cormac. Hey, Alex, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good. It's good to hear. I'm good. Thanks. Awesome. So this is our first episode. We're doing just the two of us. It is um, a little scary. It is, yes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, first, I want to talk about this new uh, James Blake record. James Blake is an artist I've been a fan of for a while now. Um, his first record is very dear to me. Um, I really love his first self-titled album. I actually saw him live just a couple weeks ago um, on his new tour. Uh so this new album, it's called Friends That Break Your Heart. Uh, it's definitely, I don't know, it, less of a departure, more of a progression in his sound. Um, kind of going away from his old stuff, which was very like skittery, drum and bassy, elements of techno, elements of dubstep. He's working, you know, like classic dubstep. Um Stuff like Burial, not like Skrillex. But um, this album, it's more of like an alt-R&B album. Yeah, um, he really lays into his pop influence in this song, Mm -hmm. I found. And it has a similar, like, like, it sounds similar to, like, the Neo Soul that's been Mm -hmm. coming out in the past five years. Something like like production style similar to something that Frank Ocean would put out, which makes sense as they've worked together before. Sampha was the first artist that came to my mind doing that sort of electronic, sort of R&B type thing. Yeah. Um, Which you've always, that has always been like an influence in his music. Even in his early work, it's not as prominent. He's taking inspiration from Burial. He's taking inspiration from, uh, you know, some of the more skittery Radiohead, Tom York stuff maybe from Fortet and a couple of other, like, micro-house artists. But at the same time, he's taking inspiration from Aretha Franklin and Marvin Gaye, especially with the—he sounds, to me, he always always sounded like a classically trained choir singer, someone who has sung lots of gospel music. Yeah, the album is essentially just a, a handful of uh, piano ballads, like, soul-esque uh, mm-hmm. piano ballads, so— yeah, the production's very stripped down, um, which has always kind of been the case for his work. Um, he's always kind of let – he'll have, like, lots of layers, but the production doesn't feel very full. It feels very sparse. It feels very – like there's a lot of room in the mix. Yeah, it's um, it's riddled with, like, reverb-doused synth lines and drum tracks that, mm-hmm. like – almost make it feel like it's above you in a way, like these lines are in the clouds. Yep. So on this album in particular, um, it starts off with two tracks that I thought were decent, Famous Last Words and Life Is Not The Same. I didn't really know what to expect going in. I liked his last album, Assume Form. Um, I didn't know what to expect going into this. And this first two songs I thought were, like, fine. They were good. The first thing, though, I noticed, and the first thing I'm kind of going to kind of lay into is the drums. 
which are very typical trap R&B drums of like what's popular now, which to me doesn't quite sit right. Yeah, there is some, I, I, um, the song with SZA, uh, coming back, mm-hmm. it, I, th- I thought I noticed that issue in that song. Cause it went, it went back and forth between when he was singing, it was the more piano ballad type stuff. And then when she was doing her verses, it kind of just went into a full on trap song and it was just mm-hmm. weird cutting from one to the other. And it did it a handful of times in the song. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like the, it's, it's not even like I have, I don't have that much a problem with the cutting back and forth. It's more of, him, I don't know. I feel like his percussion has been so interesting in the past. He's always used the, you know, sort of micro house, you know, a little bit more out there with the, especially with the drum production. I mean, he'll use, you know, quintuplets. He'll throw in these polyrhythms and very, sk- I, I think the word skittery sums it up nicely. Where the, you know, production, the drum production's a little less, you know, conforming rhythmically and the drums feel very tame to me on this they feel very of the moment they feel very passive and yeah i um one of the biggest things that i disliked about the album is um at least on the more uh upbeat songs it never really seemed to drop so like uh on like on the song uh foot forward mm-hmm. which is the most uh dare I say, banger-esque song on the album, which makes sense because Metro Boomin, the famous trap producer, Mm -hmm. co-produced it. It, 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 It's really short. It's like a two-minute, 30-second song, but in those entire two minutes, it feels like it's building up to some beat drop, and it it never does that, so it's just disappointing to me. Because I was like, I was listening to it, and I was like, all right, all right, this is going to be awesome, and then it it, just nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm trying to think about why I like the trap drums on his earlier song, Mile High, which has Travis Scott and it has production from Metro Boomin. I'm trying to figure out why I like that song and not so much the songs here. Like, why does that work for me, but not really the trap drums here? I don't really know. I would say maybe this is because it's his most, like, formulaic album Mm -hmm. in a way. He's... the. He used to be known for having these really like kind of um, bizarrely structured songs. And in here you can clearly label an A section and a B section, whereas in other songs it was the entire alphabet, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just, I, I feel, I think at the end of the day, I just feel underwhelmed by this record. Like, Especially in the middle. I think it starts decently, ends pretty strong. I think the two best songs on the album come right after each other. It's Say What You Will and Lost Angel Nights were the two songs that I I, I like the most. Um, but at the same time, I think it drags hard in the middle. Especially that three that track run of like Coming Back, Funeral, Frozen, I'm So Blessed You're Mine show me those are all pretty forgettable songs to me yeah uh, just in general a lot of the songs 
bleed together. Mm-hmm. I, I, they, they just, there's nothing that really differentiates them between each other. And that's where I want there to be more adventurous percussion because a lot of the percussion sounds the same on this album. A lot of the piano tones sound the same on this yeah, album. Yeah, every song kind of has the... I really noticed the piano a mm-hmm. lot. Every song kind of sounded exactly the same. And that makes me think either like... Either like be more adventurous with the sounds like on your earlier stuff or just commit and make a piano ballad album. No synths, no drums, just you and a piano. Like, I, it's kind of in this in-between place where it's neither a piano album nor an electronic album, and it's like not, and it just ends up not being that interesting because of it. That was um, it was that was one of the reasons why I like the um, I actually like the album's closer. If I'm insecure, because mm-hmm. it it replaced those piano sounds with um, this really grand sounding organ and Mm -hmm. it was it was a nice change of pace but unfortunately it was literally the last song on the album so it was a little too late Mm -hmm. yeah and there are still moments like there are some nice synths on i'm so blessed your mind some nice little plucky uh bouncy synths that i liked um and there's some great string arrangements on this album yeah i've started noticing that in hip-hop more hip-hop's really leaning into strings right now so uh it's cool to hear some really good strings on this album, but at the end of the day, it still doesn't feel like enough to really get me invested in the album. And it's weird because when I saw him live, he played some songs off this album, but he was still doing, he did like a, you know, two like 10 minute techno jams with modular synths, you know, crazy drums, the whole thing. And I was like, so if he's still doing that, if he still wants to do that, like... Where is that in? Why is he, if his live stuff can still have that energy? Why is his studio stuff so tame? It almost feels like, dare I say, like commercial. Like he's trying to court that alt R and B audience of people like Sampha, people like yeah. her, artists I, like I, yeah. I'd agree with that. I think he's just trying to reach an audience, and it, he's lacking a bit of his originality by doing so. Mm-hmm. Which feels bad because like. He seems like such a nice person, and he, like, I, I, it feels to me like there's no, like, he has full creative vision over his stuff. And I don't feel like he's the kind of artist who would just kind of, like, cash out. Um, so it's strange to me, then, that he wanted to make this record that was just very tame and very of the moment and... <laughs> very just kind of vanilla and bland in a lot of ways not to say there aren't some highlights there are but it is bland for much of the runtime yeah there's nothing necessarily wrong with it it's just a bit disinteresting yeah so uh i'd give it like three out of five stars if we want to do number ratings we haven't really decided how we do this yet we haven't we have not act- this we is the first time we've like, ranked something score so out of 10 i'd give it like on rate your music i gave it a six out of ten maybe it's like a five but i'll agree i'll, I'll like agree with five the... to six is where i'm yeah uh, where i'm sitting i'll place it there as well all right, so I am going to play a song off of the James Blake album. This is one of the ones that I liked. This is uh, Lost Angel Nights. All right, that was Lost Angel Nights by James Blake. Uh, so now we're going to get into the main topic of discussion today, uh, which is 
the beloved with an asterisk 80s pop band the Smiths uh so the Smiths are mainly comprised there are four members but the main creative team is uh lead singer Morrissey and guitarist Johnny Marr um they started writing songs together when they were young and it kind of accidentally turned into becoming one of the now considered greatest bands of all time. Uh, their first album is their self-titled album, which came out in 1984. It's just called The Smiths. Um, I've I Before preparing for this episode, I'd listened to every Smiths album, and I like kind of knew The Smiths, but it was really interesting going back and listening to all these albums and hearing how different they sound. Um, yeah, each one has a very distinct sound, and I, I, uh, it's very interesting that they did it in such a short time, like one album per year, and each one sounds so relatively different from each other while still being obviously in the same genre. Yeah, I mean, the the first album especially is like, they're a pop band, but the first album is dark. It's dark sounding, it's dark feeling, the lyrics are dark. It's got just a different sound to it than the rest of their discographies. It specifically, I think, stands out. Take maybe, yeah, I was going to say, take maybe This Charming Man out of that album, uh and it's the least upbeat of the three. Yeah. I mean, of the four, sorry. Yeah, I'm including Hatful of Hollow as part of this. Okay, Um, I'm okay okay with that. Yeah, I I know, it's debated. We'll get into it. Um. But this first album is, um, it has a different sound. The drums definitely sound different from the rest of their stuff. Their drums sound very post-punk-y. They sound very synthesized, which I don't think they were. I think they were acoustic drums, but they sound like a drum machine. Just in the way how boomy the snare is, it sounds synthesized, which I think is just an interesting approach. You still have Johnny Marr's, you know, light guitar picking, but uh, it's a dark sounding album and it it starts off with real around the fountain which was a controversial song at the time for being somewhat suggestive of pedophilia which it kind of is um much of the album actually is about sexual abuse um some of it involving children and so it confronts some hard themes in a very obtuse way it doesn't lay it out very neatly for you um, Reel Around the Fountain was, was one of my favorite tracks off this album. I think it's just really interesting and ambiguous with what it's saying about a young person being abused, possibly, you're not quite sure. It never really gets to, like, an overt this is abuse that's happening, but it sort of implies it. Um, it could be about prostitution. It It's very cryptic, as much of the Smiths' lyrics are. Yeah. Uh, well, Morrissey has said quite outright, and it's very prominent in his lyrics, that he's pretty anti-sex, or at least just anti-love in general. So Yeah, uh, much of this album is about being yeah. anti-sex and just disgusted by sex. Um, which is 
It's so weird that they're one of the most famous bands ever. When sex is like the mo one of the most popular topics in popular music ever. Like throw a dart at a hit song, at a list of hit songs, and you'll hit one about sex. And Morrissey is like <laughs> adamantly celibate. It's a very strange approach. And um, But at the same time, there's a level of homoeroticism to the way he writes. Um, he was inspired a lot by um, Oscar Wilde. He loved Oscar Wilde, um, which, who, of course, writes with these uh, – who also writes with tones of homoeroticism. So to have Morrissey writing like these erotic things but then the disgust at the eroticism, um, it's just an interesting perspective that you don't really get anywhere else in music. Um that's and, probably mm -hmm. oh sorry say what you're saying i'm about to go to a new point so you go ahead oh, okay no okay then never mind i think you're th you're saying it's weird how popular they were but that's probably what their appeal was uh just like morrissey's lyrics were like no other lyricists so i think he appealed especially to in the 80s he appealed to a certain demographic that no other musicians were um and doing and like take the song um panic right that song is literally about how no other musicians have meaningful messages. Mm -hmm. So like he's singing about the death of disco and, and how DJs have play nothing that he cares about. So I think what that's why many people do listen to the Smiths or like they got so popular in the time because it was people that had similar opinions to him and wanted a more sensitive mm -hmm. band to turn to. And if you look at the demographics that currently make up Smiths fans. It's a lot of white men. I don't think not, I don't think uncoincidentally. Um, it's a lot of young adolescent white men. Of course I say this being one of those adolescent white men who likes the right, Smiths. Yeah. I, I went through my big Smiths phase. I don't listen to them as much as I used to, but freshman and sophomore year of high school, I was like stupidly, incredibly in, engrossed with their music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to get engrossed in somebody's music, the Smiths are a band to do it, you know? They're... But w one of the other things I want to point out is how this music sounded like nothing else. Like, you have to think about, like, this first album coming out, and you have to think about what, what pop and rock sound like at the time in the 80s when this is, like, the peak of Van Halen. This is the peak of, you know, a lot of American rock music that is very popular. And then Morrissey comes out and he sings in this very like not masculine voice and yeah he's singing not masculine music england and especially manchester have always kind of been on the other side of the pendulum when it comes to popular music like in the late 70s and 80s with post-punk mm -hmm. it was completely different than other rock you were hearing and then uh a similar thing happened in the 90s, how Britpop was a um, a, a counter-genre to uh, grunge. Yep, yep. And I think uh, another highlight for me is the last song. Um, I'm blanking on what it's called all of a sudden, but I think I have it pulled up. Suffer Little Children? Suffer Little Children, yeah. which is... Um, going with the theme here it's about the morris exactly murders. um so morrissey was never really afraid to confront 
hard topics, things that were difficult and somewhat brutal. And you think about all of that, like it's this brutal topic and it's this like upbeat, catchy, it's catchy. It's a catchy song about children being sexually abused and murdered. I, that's just how Morrissey and Marr wrote. Marr was just a, a genius with these catchy guitar lines and Morrissey would just kind of holler melodically over them and it totally works. And the lyrics can be as dark as they want them to be. Um, any last points for the self-titled? No, yeah, I, I think you covered it pretty well. All right, so next up was Hatful, Hatful of Hollow, which it's, like, debated whether or not this counts as a Smiths album because um, it's basically a collection of B-sides, radio sessions, and, like, redone versions of songs from the Smiths. Um, the drums sound less boomy. It sounds happier and more upbeat. I think they play a couple of the songs faster. Yeah, uh, I... A lot of the yeah, a lot of the John Peel versions of the songs they're definitely a, a lot poppier than yeah. uh, the ones that you hear on the um, on their self titled. And like it's generally accepted that the Hot Full of Hollow versions are like quote unquote better, but I don't I don't really I haven't listened to them enough, so you might have more of an opinion on the distinction. Besides, between. besides this charming man, I think I like the John Peel versions better for the most part. Okay, yeah, I think that's. Well. I think, yeah, I think. The, this charming man on the John Peel version is just a little too bright. Mm-hmm. I, I can understand that. It is. It does sound much brighter. Uh, the snare, like I, I'm a big snare tone nerd. So like, gotcha. The snare. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about drums at yeah. all. So. So the snare tone on um, the Smiths, their self-titled, is this like very rounded, sort of bassy. Um, sound with a lot of reverb on it. It's very wide. And then you go into um, Hatful of Hollow and it's much, much tighter. It's, um, uh, you know, there's more tenor to the snare. There's a little more, it sounds like there's like more crack to it. Um, it's it's just a completely different way of playing the songs. Um, and it it sounds like what the Smiths were going to become. It's like, the first Smiths record that really sounds like the Smiths. Yeah, it. The cleaner production on it is it certainly lays way for what they would do later on in their career, uh, mm-hmm. especially with the Queen is Dead and um, the uh, Stranger Is Here We Come. Both of those you can hear uh, lots of production tricks that they do on it. Yeah, yeah, it's they became this very like. For such a weird band, they always had very tight, very like streamlined and clean production, um, and that and you first hear that on Hatful of Hollow. Um, I'd like to ho- highlight the song "How Soon Is Now," which I know is like a like everybody loves that song, but oh my god, it's so good! Like it's it, so it's a, good. It's a perfect song. It's everything. The sliding guitar, the like. Uh, all the guitars, I don't know how Johnny Marr did this. There's like three distinct guitar tones on here. There's like this sliding guitar, 
There's this guitar that's going in the background that has this really dark tone to it. And then there's the, like, pluck melody. Do, 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 do. Like, oh my god. That was a terrible facsimile of that melody. But um, it's it's so well done. It's an amazingly produced song. Yeah, and it's funny how, even though it sounds completely different than literally any of their other songs, how it's still... Um, has that danceability, that catchiness too, that their other ones do. Like all of their songs, and especially this one, but in a completely different way than other songs, are all danceable. And I think that's mm-hmm. also one of the greatest things about the Smiths. Yeah, they are a strangely danceable band. Um, and then this, if we talk about like the Smiths being a, an album about being a child, um, Hatful of Hollow is very much about adolescence then. It's about curiosity and heartbreak and frustration and yearning, love won, love lost, that kind of stuff. Yeah, this uh, this album has probably one of my top five favorite Smiths tunes of all time, which is Girl Afraid, and it tells the story of this like uh, doomed couple who both think that their significant other hates them. That sounds like Morrissey. That, yeah. That very much sounds like Morrissey. Who forgot to silence their phone for this? Um, anyway, uh, after that, they released another compilation of songs uh, of B-sides, and uh, that is Meat is Murder, um, which is... that ha- It's a bit contentious in Smith's debates. I, wait, I've never I, heard that before. I did not love... Maybe I'm just speaking from my perspective, but I did not love Meat is Murder. I liked it. I can't say I loved it. It's actually, um, besides maybe Hot Full of Hollow, it's subjectively my favorite Smith's okay. album. Okay, so I'm interested to hear why is it your favorite? I, um, I think they, okay, so like the, uh, it, sorry, let me, get my train of thought going so compared to the first album it i think the first album um is a little underdeveloped like you can you can very clear that it's their debut and then this one it this album contains the energy that a young band would have but with the slightly tight with slightly tighter songs mm-hmm. so um like listen to like all right listen to uh the introductory track, the Headmaster Ritual, it's 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 kind of like a punk song in a way, but it contains the same jangly Johnny Marr picking that you would hear on the earlier work. I uh, so I I liked the energy that they have in this in, in this album, and I like that it's more concise than their last. Yeah, I think maybe what didn't do it for me was the lyrics. There's a lot of protest songs on here. Yeah, I I will say. Meat is murder. The the song, not the album. That's what I, I was saying. I That's like what that I was saying. It's all. contentious. People don't like the song "Meat is Murder," and I don't either. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. When I do listen to the album, I kind of just stop it after "Barbarism Begins at Home." Barbarism Begins and, at Home is a good song. Yeah, that's one of my favorite Smith songs of all time as well. And also an incredibly danceable song. Mm-hmm. I um I I love watching them play it live. Have you ever have you ever seen that? I've not. Oh, check it out. Um, it is much longer than 
they add like an extra four minutes to it just so that they can uh, dance. Interesting. That sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. will yeah, get uh, that Smith's reunion underway that they've said will never happen ever. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. It, it, it has a fantastic bass line. So at one point, Johnny Marr just stops um, playing the guitar. He sits it down and then he and Morrissey dance on stage as as Joyce and Rourke thump along. Maybe I'd like this album more if How Soon Is Now were on the version I listened to because it was How Soon Is Now was Wasn't it, it supposed to be yeah, on here? It was, Did it, it, I thought I read that. It was that on before. the deluxe edition. Um and I love that song. So maybe like if that song were on the record it would lift my opinion of the whole record. But um the joke isn't funny anymore is really good. I like that song. But a lot of the lyrics yeah. to me feel kinda preachy, which um Morrissey's ego is something we will get back to when we talk about the Queen is dead. Uh, it becomes a very big part of the music. Yeah, no, I just, yeah, I I really like this album because I like the energy behind it. Like mm-hmm. all the song, like all the songs, they're just they're, most of them are very upbeat. Obviously, you have your slower song here and there, but just overall, it's it's very energetic. One thing I, I I always want to give the Smiths prop for props for I know I'm giving the Smiths props as like a nobody but one thing I want to give them props for is like never not like their albums are short they're like tight 35 40 minute albums and so there's like no chance for filler I mean like even the songs I don't like as much aren't uninteresting you know they don't feel like filler even if I don't like them. So they make really tight albums, which is yeah. There's there's very few Smith songs that I dislike. And then of course we get to the classic, uh, "The Queen Is Dead." I don't think we can say anything about this album that hasn't been said before. This is like maybe the greatest pop album ever made. It's, I it sounds basic. This is my favorite Smiths album. Uh, I listened to it today, and I was just like. I was just, like, kicking myself. Like, oh, my God. How did I not see the brilliance in this earlier? Yeah, each each song feels like it could have been a single. A- absolutely. And, I'm lo- like, I'm looking at the track list now, and I'm like, that song and is great. That song you is know, great. Uh, it's funny because the only single, if I recall correctly, was The Queen Is Dead. And it's funny how other songs became so much more popular than that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there was a light that never goes out, which did, which didn't even become a single until the nineties. Like they released it as a single, like, I think like 94. Mm-hmm. So what's funny to me about this album is that a lot of it is about like personal beefs that he had, that Morrissey had with record label people. <laughs> That's just funny to me that it's so petty. Like, this is he one was of the a... best pop albums ever made, and, like, Big Mouth Strikes Again and, frankly, Mr. Shankly are both about, like, record label beef. Well, he was a, ve- he was a very petty person, so... He, he was. And, oh, I, and a lot of this album, actually, what, something I kind of applaud Morrissey for is he confronts that. He's aware of it. Um, and I think Big Mouth Strikes Again is uh, very aware of its own ego. Um... Which I really like, Big Mouth Strikes again. It's got um, a really great hook on it, and it's got um, uh, these really nice pitched-up vocals on the chorus that I like. 
Johnny Marr did not like those vocals. Ooh. Did you know that? I did not. Know yeah, that. I remember they. I, I I remember hearing that uh, they had a bit of an argument over if it was like too avant-garde or not. Huh. I like it. So. No, I think it's cool. I just rem- I just remember reading that somewhere. Hmm. Um. Then of course there's there is a light that never goes out. Um. Which is like has its own history as being like one of the greatest songs ever written i read today that they like recorded that song in just a couple of takes and they didn't really talk about it at all because it was like they were in the it was like they were in the room and they knew something incredible was happening and they like didn't know how what to do about it they just knew they like hearing that song and hearing them creating that song they just knew it was something special which of course it is Yeah, one of my one of my favorites on it is uh, Cemetery Gates. That's one of my favorites too. I love cemetery or it's Cemetery Gates. Uh, it's got a misspelling. Uh, but yes, yeah, Cemetery Gates is really really good. Vicar in a tutu also great. Vicar in a tutu is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the track list right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you look at it and you're like, every song on here is excellent, man. It's like, what yeah. can you even say about this album? It's just so well composed. It's so well written. Uh, Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others, also a great song. I just... And what's interesting is at this point, um, Morrissey has kind of done... What's messing, like, Meet Is Murder, Morris is almost like their experimental album. Like, it's got more... It's got yodeling. It's got more yelping. There's a couple of, like, rockabilly songs on it. And then The Queen is Dead is this very straightforward jangle pop album. Yeah, Johnny, uh, he took a lot of inspiration. He, he said that numerous times. He's, took a, he's taken a lot of inspiration from rockabilly and uh, folk picking. And that's why they're very, you very like, all right, you very rarely hear like full chords in their songs. It's often he picks them. So he, like, he'll hold a chord out and I'll just randomly play notes in that chord. And that's where you get that classic smith sound mm-hmm. yeah uh and it's it's i was like trying to think about artists who inspired the smiths and who were obviously inspired by them and it's kind of hard to come up with lists of either like it's the smiths have definitely been influential but nothing really sounds like them the only thing i could think of that really sounds like them is the stone roses which is an old jangle pop band um, right no I, I know the stone was stone roses quite well um, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of that comparison. Like he, uh, Morrissey said he was inspired by the Beatles, but they don't sound anything like the Beatles. I would say I don't think musically, but I'd say um, like guitar tone wise, yes, mm-hmm. like the jangle pop. Like Maybe this- in like ambitious. Like when a lot of people credit the Beeble, the Beatles, it's like the ambition of the Beatles is what they're crediting. It's like how the Beatles just stacked layers on layers in their later work. And it was just like these collages of sound eventually. So I think that's what Morrissey's more crediting, like, the ambition. The album he credited specifically was the White Album, which is probably the Beatles' most experimental album. So I think what he's crediting there is, like, the Beatles' ambition as artists. Right. Now, I'm actually curious what you have to say about the Stone Roses. I want to hear that. Um, I don't know the Stone Roses very well. Oh, okay. But they do have that jangly sound. Yeah, all right. I I would agree with that. And they are from Manchester, so 
it has that stereotypical. That was just like the sound. first band that came to mind that sounds like right. the Smiths. But I think maybe maybe why we're both having trouble thinking of bands, at least off the top of our head, is because it's such a they have the the Smiths have such a unique sound. Yeah. That if any if any band took too much inspiration from them, it would just be yeah. Uh, the replication. Smiths have like the Smiths sound, and if anybody try and you can't nobody sings like Morrissey. Nobody sings like Morrissey. If you sang like Morrissey, everyone would be like, you're doing a Morrissey impression. Right. Like, nobody sounds like that. Nobody sounded like that before, and nobody has sounded like it since. So, like, when I thought about artists that have taken inspiration from the Smiths, I thought maybe, like, Bell and Sebastian with a lot of the guitar plucking um, and songwriting. And then maybe, if we're talking, like, more popular bands, like early Coldplay. Yeah. Do you know, um, you know, do you know the band The Sundays? I don't. It's there's a, a song called um, "Here's Where the Story Ends." It's their most popular song. I think sounds starkly similar to uh, Cemetery Gates. Mm. It, it very similar uh, like chord progressions and guitar sound. Interesting. Um, the other thing I would credit the Smiths to is like punk music, like early punk, like yeah, Morrissey loved punk, the New York. like maybe some Iggy Pop. And... Yeah. The, Morrissey loved the New York Dolls. Mm-hmm. You can hear some of that in the way they do their drums, especially early on. Like, like I mentioned, the like post-punky sound of the drums on their self-titled. Um, I think that they were taking some inspiration from punk music and popping it up, and that's why the Smiths don't really fit into any category. Is because they were pop because they were super melodic, but their topics. But their lyrics were so obtuse and hard to decipher, and the singing was not quite was not pop singing. It's catchy, but it's not really traditional pop singing in any real sense. So, how do you categorize the Smiths? There's no real answer. Um, yeah, no. Like com- compare them to their peers of the time. They don't sound you. You can't place them in new wave or in post punk. And so it's weird how they how they sound nothing like any of the other artists that that were also being played on similar radio stations at the time. I'm just looking at the track list again, and it's stupid how good side B of Queen is Dead is. It's got Big Mouth Strikes Again, Vicar in a Tutu, There's a Light That Never Goes Out, and Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others. And like The Boy with the Thorn in His Side is still a good song, even if it's not as good as those other four. But that's just a stupidly good side B. No, the whole album is fantastic. Oh, it's so good. It's it's like maybe the greatest pop album of the 80s, which is saying something. It's just incredible. Um, and then they came out with their final album in 1987? Seven. 1987. Strange Ways, Here We Come, which is their... Um, I said Meat is Murder is their most experimental, but maybe I would I would say this is their most experimental yeah, album. Yeah, that I can definitely see. Just because um take yeah, all right, listen to the first song, A Russian of Pushing the Land is ours. There's some really interesting production stuff going on in that song. Well, and then ju- the first thing I think you hear is piano. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was gonna say. Overall, just in general, there's a lot less guitar in this album. Yeah, there's electronic drums there's yeah there's organ well you had a little bit of organ early on but um and piano and it 
it specifically sounds like the Smiths trying to branch out. I feel like it almost feels like a reaction to the Queen is Dead. Like, we're never going to top this. Let's try and sound different. I will say, I, I looked this up. Morrissey and Morrissey uh, and Marr both call it their favorite Smiths album. Yes, they do. Which is interesting to me because if you look at the songs, there's some good... I mean, the obvious, like, great song on here is Girlfriend in a Coma, which is awesome. Mm. Um, just absolutely killer strings on that song. But there's no real, like... I mean, Stop Me If You've Heard This One Before is good. And that song is kind of quite literally um, is what the album, the whole album is about. It's because mm-hmm. they're trying to branch out. They didn't want to sound like the Smiths anymore. And that's a, Morrissey's kind of alluding to that and in, in, in that song. That's yeah. Yeah. that's my favorite song on the album. Mm. I'm, I'm basic. I like the hits, man. <laughs> There's a light that never... Uh, maybe Cemetery Gates is my favorite on Queen is Dead. That's a cool pick for Queen is Dead. But my favorite on this was Girlfriend in a Coma. It's just it's just pop perfection, man. It's so well done. Um, See, I, I like that song a lot, but I might not like it because it's on this album. Because I think it sounds... It's the most... It's the most, like, debut... debut sounding song they oh, have on I the really album. I really like the debut. So No, I, I love the debut, too. I just... I, I when I listen to albums, I like that they have a theme, and I just don't. I feel like mm-hmm. "Girlfriend in a Coma" fits the theme that the rest of the album does. Yeah, um, but I look at the track list, and it, it obviously doesn't have as many like "quote unquote" hits as earlier Smiths albums, but it's still a strong album. Uh, and it's you know it's a little bit divisive, but I like that they were branching out more towards the end of their career. I like that they were experimenting more with their sound it makes me wish we could have heard more of like what the smiths could have sounded like past the 80s yeah it i don't know this is the album i'm least familiar with out of all of theirs i just i i I didn't listen to it as much as the other four um i'm obviously most familiar with queen is dead than maybe hatful of hollow so you said your favorite smith's record is meat is murder do we want to try yeah. ranking the albums, each of us? All right. Do you want to go or do you want me to go? I'll go first since you know the okay. Smiths better. You'll have a more interesting ranking than me. All right. Okay. Number five. Ooh, that's tough between Meet is Murder and Strange Ways, actually. Because I like both of them, but I don't love both of them. If I, I feel bad if I put Meet is Murder last because it's your favorite. Um, I don't care. It's all right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put Meet is Murder last. Okay. Then Strange Ways, then Self-Titled, then Hatful of Hollow, then Queen is Dead. Queen is Dead is number one. So, I'll go with, all right, I'm going to go with, huh, this is bad because I'm going to rank these and it's going to sound like I don't like some over the, uh, over others. Okay, Strange Ways, here we come, just because I do think that is their weakest in overall. Okay. Um, then the debut, which I love. Mm-hmm. So that's this is this is just we should like great. blanket statement. We like all of these albums. Yeah, these are all this, great albums, and you should listen is, to all of them. It's great to fantastic. Yes, in this ranking, um, like if you think about I, it, if you think one end of our scale is like literal perfection. Yeah, and then I'm 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 gonna have a tough time choosing between 
uh, the Queen is Dead and uh, Hat Full of Hollow. I know they're both so yeah so good. I would it's um it, it's see the Queen is Dead is the objective pick. It like overall it's a, just the the best. It's like it's tighter. It's not as long. It sounds more cohesive. Yeah, but uh, Hat Full of Hollow was the first one I bought, and it was okay. It was maybe it was it was I'll I'll put that at second. It was. It was the only Smiths record I listened to for a year. Like, it's mm-hmm. what got me into them. And I think that's kind of what it is. It's a fantastic starting point to get into the band. It, it is. That's what I think. That's what uh, I think most people recommend is like a start. Because their debut, it's great, but it's not a great starting point. It's like a really dark, and it doesn't really sound like the Smiths that much. And there's no real, like, hits on it. Whereas Hat Full of Hollow has a couple of, like, really recognizable songs on it. Yeah, it certainly has some of their most... This Charming Man. How yeah, they're most now. popular. I mean, I guess Real Around the Fountain is pretty well known. Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now. Oh, we didn't even talk about Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now. We didn't. I actually That's such doubt, a good song. Yeah, yeah another. <laughs> yeah, I really like that one because I, I really like the um, the strumming that uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Marr's doing on it. It's kind of uh, funky in a way, but it, it sounds... But it, it's it's interesting how that pairs with the very uh, jangly chords mm-hmm. of he's playing uh, he's playing a lot of major seventh chords, which are it's just very bright sounding. Yes, yes, it's got a very like sunny sound to it, which goes well with the cleaner production. Um, when I'm thinking about like what do I, I'm kind of thinking I like. I'm trying to think about whether I like the old reel around the fountain or the new one. I think I kind of lean the old one off of the original because I feel like the darker sound matches the tone of the music. I don't know. I have I always have a soft spot for like the dark album, the like, you know, sort of misfit album that doesn't Right. I always have a soft spot for that album. So the 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 um self-titled album does does a lot for me. Yeah, see I, I just like I like the versions on Half Full of Hollow better just because it, it's a fuller production. Yeah. I think the de- they, they be, the debut is a little thin at points. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's it's tough but, though. But that's also the same reason why I don't like Half Full of Hollow's This Charming Man because mm. it doesn't the guitar doesn't cut through like it doesn't pierce your ears like it does on the debut. Mm-hmm. Like listen to the original version of This Charming Man. Like the guitar. It just immediately, like, it's like a knife goes through your ears. Yeah, their mixing has always been fantastic. Their mixing for much of their work is just, like, incredible. The guitar sounds... I want to point out uh, how great the mix is on... uh, We already talked about this song, but How Soon Is Now? Oh, my God, the mix on that song is just insane. The way the pluck comes through and just, like... I like the word you used, pierce. It, like, really pierces your ears, and you're like, whoa! That's a totally new sound that we've never heard the Smiths do before. We didn't talk about this at all, and I just, as a bass player, I would like to. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The bass lines, every song, fantastic bass lines. They're very melodic. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like a standard bass line that goes from one to five, like you might hear in, in a lot of pop songs. It, it um, see... It, the songs weren't written by Andy, so it's they were written. I mean, sorry, the bass lines weren't written by Andy; they were written by uh, Johnny Marr. So it makes sense that they're melodic because mm-hmm. I 
He was a guitar I'm player. Pre- <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that he was writing the bass lines on his guitar, and then he was just he was like gave it to Andy Rourke. He's like, all right, play this. Yeah. No. And and like, it's so it's just interesting how it's it's essentially like the bass is another guitar in a way. Yeah, and it's amazing how melodic the Smiths are because not only is the guitar melodic, the bass melodic, but Morrissey doing all of these like. You know, I don't want to do a Morrissey impression. I feel like that's... Oh, that's all right. Um, but he, his, like, he loves doing these vocal runs of multiple notes. He loves doing big leaps. Um, and his voice is very distinct in the way, like, just he does certain melodic patterns. You, he loves these very distinct melodic patterns where he does repetitions. Um, and that's, like, I don't know, I... I think that that much melody is really powerful in their music. It makes for a really, like, full, enriched sound. All right. So I think we're going to leave it there. I'm going to play us out with uh, the song I probably have talked about the most regarding the Smiths, which is How Soon... er, Oh, the song I actually added to my playlist was Reel Around the Fountain uh, from the John Peel session. So we're going to play out with that.